This is my resurrection song. This is my hallelujah come. This is why it's to you I run. Let's sing it again. This is my resurrection song. This is my hallelujah come. This is why it's to you I run. There's no space that is love can reach. There's no
Is crowned in glory now. The Savior knelt to wash our feet. Now at His feet we bow. The one who bore our sin and shame. His robe did majesty, the radiance of perfect love now shines for all to 
Good morning, church. Can I ask you a question? I ask it a lot, and, and, and when I say this uh, today genuinely, are you glad to be here? Are you glad to be a part of God's church? That's a special place, isn't it? I, I just have this desire. One of my core um, values in my own personal life is authenticity and, and practical teaching, life change. I, if I wasn't able to help people in changing their life and, and, and teaching the word in a practical way or being genuine and authentic, then I don't want to do what it is that I do uh, today. It's my core value. And I have this longing to be a part of a church that is genuine, that is authentic. And I have a feeling that there are a lot of people in the community around the world that are looking for the same thing. They're starving. They're hungry for a genuine fellowship, to belong to something so powerful, something so sweet, especially in the midst of all the chaos that is in our world today. Amen. In fact, I believe that the church is a a beacon of hope in the middle of a dark uh, world right now. We're in the middle of a bunch of contention, this, this presidential race. There's a lot of heated, disputed people, Christians against Christians because they don't agree with the affiliation of the other. And I'm just sitting there going, God, we need the church to be the church. It's time for the church to arise because there are people that are broken. There are people that are hurting. There are people that are longing to belong to something greater than themselves. And I believe that God still puts his, his, his power in the local church. I believe it is the hope of the world, the gospel and a Bible-believing church. Amen? I long to be a part of that, and I believe there's a lot of people that also long to be a part of that. Why do I ask that or why do I bring that up? I bring that up because that's the heart behind First John. Um, so I've been wanting to teach this for, for some time, and I'm going to be honest, it's one of those that's a little difficult to outline. Uh, you know, just does it flow like linear uh, when you're just looking through it. It feels like John is very repetitive, and he is. So it'll help us as we look at the the letter of 1 John to think of a spiral, you know, like in a spiral notebook. And what you see is this repetitive theme. He hits on truth, obedience, and love. And he makes a circle and he comes back around again to it. Truth, obedience, and love. And he looks at it from another angle. And again, truth, obedience, and love. And he's just laying out this letter, uh, this apostle of love to the church. Now, why did he write 1 John? I believe, like John, and like I had said a while ago, my desire, John's desire was to see a healthy church, and he was concerned not about the pressure from the outside that would affect the church in a negative way, like persecution. The church has experienced persecution since its beginning. Uh, so he's not worried about the outward pressure that could, that could harm the church. He's worried about what could possibly creep up from within. And because of that, he feels compelled to write this letter. Now, you need to know that John, uh, most scholars will agree that it's the Apostle John that wrote it. He wrote about 20% of the New Testament. The Gospel of John, where he's wanting everybody to know who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and he wants you to know how to be in a right relationship with God through Jesus. That's the Gospel of John. And then we have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that he writes to believers. He writes it to the church. And, of course, we have the book of Revelation Um, as well. So this is written by the Apostle John. He is late in life, and this is towards the end of his life. In fact, at the time of this writing, he is the last surviving eyewitness of Christ Jesus. Can you imagine for a moment the rock star status that John probably had at this time? Could you imagine a church saying, hey, we got a special guest meeting with us next week. It's the last living eyewitness, Apostle John. Woo! Church is full, right? Because I'm like, I want to hear what John has to say because he actually was with Jesus. What might he share with us? This is who writes this letter, and he knows he's towards the, the end of his life, and he just feels compelled to write this letter to the church on this, this thing of, of, of fellowship with God, fellowship with one another. Now, I believe there are three things that we need to be committed to if we want to also experience a genuine, authentic fellowship. Have you ever been a part of a dysfunctional church? Don't raise your hand. The reality is, is probably all of us at some point in time have experienced that. You're, you're looking for this change in life. Maybe you get convicted that you need to be plugged into a local a body of believers, and you go to church, and you discover quickly that there's judgmentalism, or there's criticism, or there's divisiveness, or you know they're, they're grappling about the color of the chairs, and all of these things, and you're thinking, man, I just don't, life's too busy and too crazy to be involved in that, and so I, I believe people are longing for authenticity. People are longing for a genuine Um, fellowship uh, that is in Christ and with one another. And so John approaches this. Now, one of the things that was going on 
um, in his time, and the reason that he begins his letter the way he does, um, is because there was a heresy that was creeping up in the church. And again, John wasn't worried about persecution bothering the church. He was worried about what might get into the church and cause problems. And so he was worried about a heresy known as Gnosticism. It was kind of getting its start early when scriptures were written. By the time 1 John is written, when John is in Ephesus toward the end of his life, uh, Gnosticism had kind of taken root, and it was kind of starting to creep up in some Christian circles, and so he's addressing that. Gnosticism was this, it means to know, and they believed that they could have some sort of special knowledge, and, and just the average Christian don't get this, but the super spiritual could get this deep mystic type of knowledge, and that's what made them right with God somehow, and one of the other things that they believed was that the flesh that is our body is inherently evil. There's nothing good about the flesh body, but the spirit is good. And so uh, the, the, the spirit and the flesh are two separate entities, and one doesn't affect the other. And so they believed that they could live however they wanted to live, live like the devil and say, I'm a righteous person. Sounds like some politicians we've heard on TV lately, amen? So they believe that it doesn't matter what you do in your body because flesh is evil and the spirit's separate from that. And so if you're saved, you're saved. It doesn't matter how you live. And so John kind of addresses that there, this Gnosticism. Another dangerous heresy that was creeping up there was they were denying that Jesus was actually in a physical body. They were like, man, if evil's bad, then Jesus, who is deity, uh, supposedly, is going to be in this physical body, and um, good can't be with evil. So it, Jesus wasn't really in the human flesh. Um, doceticism basically means to appear, and they said he just appeared like a phantom to be in the flesh. And so John's like, uh-uh, let me tell you, I'm an eyewitness, I'm going to let you have it, I'm going to show you this Jesus that I want to share with you. And so he begins in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. Now, some scholars will say this is talking about the beginning before the world was created. Others will say, no, we're talking about the incarnation of Christ. So since the beginning, when Jesus was born, you know, in a manger, and he walked among us. But regardless, we proclaim to you who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard. Say heard. So um, John, as a disciple, as an apostle, walked with Jesus. He, he talked with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. And so he heard many of the teachings of Jesus. And so if you want to know what Jesus had to say, you're like, Apostle John, you're the last living witness. What did Jesus say? And he would share what he heard. He said, we heard him and we seen him. That is with our eyes. We witnessed Jesus. And some of your versions will say, we looked upon, it says, we saw him with our own eyes. This is a little deeper than just a glance. This is like a theater term, and it means to gaze upon. They watched his life, and they were amazed at who this Jesus was. This is what John says, the one we heard, the one we seen, we gazed upon him, and listen to this, and touched him. To all you doceticism um, Gnostics that say that Jesus wasn't in a body, uh-uh, we touched it. Thomas, when he said he didn't believe, Jesus came to him and said, hey, stop your unbelief, touch my wounds and my side and my, my hands and, and believe. And so uh, they absolutely were eyewitnesses of who Jesus was, and he's combating this Gnosticism. Jesus was fully God, fully man in the flesh, and he walked among us. Can you imagine being the apostle John and sharing this? Verse 2, he says, this one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him, and now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. I believe there's two bar ditches when it comes to who and how we view Christ. There's one, and it is kind of a heresy that's creeping up in the church today, on this kenoticism, and it basically means that Jesus was not deity. Jesus was just a man. In other words, when he was walking on the earth, he's just like you and me. He gave up his deity, and they use a, a verse in Philippians that he gave up his divine privileges, which doesn't mean deity, but they'll say, oh, no, he gave up all of his deity when he walked the earth. The problem with that is if he gave up his deity and he died on a cross, then he was just a man that died on the cross, and he was not good enough to take away your sin and my sins. That's a problem, isn't it? <clears throat> And so that's one bardage, and the other one is to say, no, he wasn't flesh. And so we need to understand that if we're going to live in a genuine fellowship with God the Father, we need to have a right understanding of who Christ is. Fully God, 
fully man. You don't have to understand it, but it's the gospel. And Jesus did so many things throughout the gospel of John. In fact, that was John's argument. His gospel was proven the deity of Christ. He's like, he walked on the water. Nobody else has done that. He he claimed to be God, and he did only the things that God can do. He was worshipped as God. And so he lays out this case that Jesus is deity, fully God. In fact, Colossians, I believe it is, it says um, that all the fullness of the deity dwell within Christ. He was fully God. Very important. But he was also fully man. He lived in a physical body. He was tempted just like we were tempted. He He experienced hardships and suffering. And so he knows how to be uh, compassionate toward us as we also experience difficulties in life. He's a real Jesus. Amen. And so we need a a right understanding, uh, a right doctrine and truth of who Jesus is. Why? Because we're going to build our foundation on him. The Bible says that Jesus is the cornerstone. And if you have a wrong idea of who he is, you may say, oh, Jesus was just a good man. No, no, no. He was so much more than just a good man. Right? And so we're building our life on the foundation of who Jesus is. And if we want to have a a genuine, authentic fellowship with God, we need to understand who Jesus is. Do you know that Jesus today? So John goes on, verse 3, says, We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard And here's why I want you to know this, so that, when you see the word so that, here's the purpose for why he's sharing what he's sharing, is we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us, koinonia, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Listen, we have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. You know what fellowship is? It means the act of sharing. What are we sharing? We're sharing a common um, understanding of who Christ is. That's doctrine. We share our beliefs. We share our activities, the privileges of an intimate association of a group. And this word is especially used of marriage and churches. The church is unique. And fellowship is so critical, right? And so he says this fellowship, why I'm telling you this is because I want you to have fellowship with God. And that fellowship is going to extend and it's going to be to one another, but it's fellowship with God through his son Christ. And verse 4, this is kind of an indictment today on the church, and I've had to wrestle with this my own self. It says, we are writing these things so that, listen to this, you may fully share our joy so that your joy may be complete. Can I ask you a question this morning? Believer, Do you feel like you have joy in your life? Now, looking at your faces, I would say, "Mm, maybe you need to work on that a little bit, or maybe you need an extra hour of sleep. But no, the reality is, we don't always live our lives as though we're like, you know, the Christian is just joyful. Why are we joyful? Because of who we are in Christ and what he's done on our behalf. We should be filled with joy. One of the songs says, joy unspeakable and full of glory. I'm looking at your faces, and I'm waiting for the cue, like let's smile or something. I mean, how many know as followers of Christ, we need to be joyful, even in the midst of hardships? He says, the things that I'm telling you, I'm telling you these things so that you may fully share our joy. Jesus in John 13 through 17, in fact, there's a mirror. You can look back and forth at what Jesus said in the upper room before his crucifixion in this first John, and you see a lot of things that John says that he's just simply repeating what Jesus said. And Jesus told his disciples, I've told you these things so that you may have joy, and then and you'll have the fullness of joy um, in me. And so uh, this idea of joy, when we have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another is a sweet thing. And I believe if we want to experience genuine fellowship, we need to have a right understanding of who Jesus is. And when we have a right understanding of who he is, I believe the more we know about him, the more encouraged we are, the more emboldened we are in our faith, the more joyful we are. If you really realize what he's done for you and I, I believe that it would completely revolutionize our own attitudes and our lives and our outlooks on this earth that we live on. Amen? It's like if you truly understood what he's done for us, we would be filled with joy. All right, so... Then he says uh, in verse 5, this is the message we heard from Jesus. So we were with Jesus. We were eyewitnesses of him. We heard him. We seen him. We touched him. And this is the message that he gave to us. And we're just merely repeating this 
to you. So I'm a first-generation eyewitness of Jesus, John says, and I got a second generation here that didn't get to see him, that didn't get to witness him. I want you to know who he is, but I also want you to know what it was that he shared with us. And so, so this message that we heard from Jesus, and he says, we now declare to you, God is light. Let's just stop there for a second. God is light. What does that mean? Light is holy, right? There's no evil in him. God is, is light. He, he, he reveals truth, right? Shining a light in a dark place. God is light. And it says, in him there is no darkness at all. There's no evil in God. Amen? So God is light, and there's no darkness in him at all. And then verse 6, he, he begins to kind of step on our toes a little bit. And he begins to kind of uh, challenge the Gnostics of the day that said, well, it doesn't matter what I do in my body. Um, I'm a believer because the spirits separate from the, separate from the body, and therefore it doesn't matter. So he says, no, 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 listen to this. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. And so, um, as I said, you see with John this spiral thing. He's talked about truth, and now he's on obedience, and he'll come back around to it and hit it from another angle. But now he's talking about another thing that, for, I, for me, I believe that we need to be committed to if we want to experience this genuine fellowship with God and with each other, and that is obedience to his commands. I know that nobody in this room struggles with that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know I'm supposed to, but. Mm. Jesus, you, you don't know what I've gone through with this person, right? I know you said that I'm supposed to do this, but if you only knew the situation, maybe you would change your mind. Give me a pass on that. No, no. He wants us to be obedient to him. And so he, he kind of, in the face of the Gnostics, and I believe for those of us that think that we can just do whatever we want to do and we're still good, he says, hey, we're not practicing the truth. If he's light and we're living in the light, then that means we're going to walk in, say it with me, obedience. How many of you ever had a disobedient child? You know, we all, we've all been there, right? So you love it whenever they do what you tell them to do. And so what he's saying is like, if we want to experience genuine fellowship, we need to learn this, this thing called obedience. Now, let me ask you a question. Does anybody ever do that perfectly? Nope. Is anybody perfect in their obedience? Don't raise your hand because then you'd be lying. But the reality is, is all of us fall short, don't we? I mean, I, here's my prayer. God, today's been so amazing. You're so awesome. And I've done so, so well so far. But I'm about to get out of bed and put my feet on the floor. And I know it's going to go downhill from there. Right? And it's just like, we, we have this good intentions. I want to follow and I want to be obedient. But then that phone call comes or that person cuts us off in traffic or that old, uh, that person that offended you before cross path and you're like, whoop, and here it comes again. And so there's this challenge of just practicing the truth, walking in the light, living in the light means if we want to be in fellowship with him as he is in the light, then we have to learn this thing called obedience. Jesus um, shared this um, in, as I said, John, this is in the upper room, and this is before Jesus is going to go to the cross. And so he knew his time had come, and he's about to wrap up his ministry, go to the cross, be crucified, buried, and raised again. And so what he shares with them in this upper room is so, so vital and so important. He wants them to get it. He talks about serving other people. He talks about the importance of love, but he also talks about obedience. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? He's going to say, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. John puts it this way, so we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. We're not living up to our confession. We're not living in obedience. But he says, but if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, again, to the Gnostics who say they don't sin, he says, if we say or if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. Why? Because we all sin. He says, if we claim that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But I love this, this next verse. It's one of my favorites. 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar. Why? Because he said all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
He says, if we say we've not sinned, we're calling God a liar, and we're showing that his word has no place in our hearts. And so for us, we need to understand the importance of obedience to his word. And the encouraging thing is when we fail to obey, when we fall into temporary sin, not a lifestyle of just uh, walking out of the light and walking in darkness, but we will stumble as followers of Christ from time to time. When we do, it's encouraging to me to know that I can get up and say, you know what, God, that was wrong, that was sin, and I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And it's just as simple as falling down, getting up, dusting myself off, and getting back onto the path, walking in the light. Amen? I believe that as followers of Christ, we need to keep a short account with God. What do I mean by that? Let's don't wait when we know we sin. Let's don't just like, I'll just deal with that tomorrow. Uh-uh. As quick as I, it comes to my heart, as quick as the Holy Spirit reveals it to me, um, I'm quick to say, you know what, God, that's sin. I'm sorry, will you forgive me of that sin? And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. That's good news. I remember conversations that I've had in the past. You know how it is, you're talking with someone and then somebody comes up or a topic comes up and then you get kind of caught up in the moment and then you go a little too far and you start feeling convicted. You know, maybe I got a little into gossip or maybe even slander. I mean, I'm slamming these people and, and you leave that conversation all of a sudden there's this thing in you, there's this conviction that says, you know that wasn't right. And I'm like, mm, yeah, I know, I know God. And I've immediately said, God, I know that was wrong, and I'm sorry. Would you forgive me for that? That was just wrong. We shouldn't have done that. And I've made phone calls to the people that I've had those conversations with and said, you know what? Look, earlier we were talking, and I just want you to know that God's convicted me about this, and what we did, what I said was wrong. Will you forgive me? Most of the time, they're like, man, I didn't even notice it. But I love that, the conviction of the Holy Spirit that reminds us. That's good, isn't it? So walking in obedience doesn't mean we're always going to walk it perfectly, but if we want to experience this genuine fellowship with God and other people, we need to learn to take his commands and not as just suggestions, but as commands and say, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? And I want to live my life according to this. And when I stumble knowing, chapter two, my dear children, I am writing to you so that you will not sin. Too late, we've already sinned. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Aren't you glad that that sacrifice was good once for all? Not just the first generation believers. He's like, look, if we sin, we have this advocate. Have you ever thought about Jesus as an advocate? I mean, think about it. We're dirty, and we're rebellious. We don't always get it right. And you got God who's light. There's no darkness at all in him. And somehow there's got to be this connection between us. And, and to know that Jesus is our advocate that goes and he pleads our case in front of the Father. I love Jesus even more, knowing that he advocates on our behalf. Amen? So it says, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. If someone says or claims, I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. If you want a litmus test of whether you're in fellowship with God or you're in a right relationship with him, he's like, look, simply this way. If you say you have no sin, you're lying, you're not practicing the truth. If you're not obedient to his word, he's like, you're not walking in the light. It says, this is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. How many know Jesus is the ultimate example? And John, as an eyewitness to Jesus, is like, man, I, I walked with him. In fact, John had a special connection with Jesus because he was one of the 12 apostles, but there were a few times in Scripture where it says that Jesus you know, kind of left the apostles behind, but he took with him. Peter, James, and John. So John saw some epic stuff, right? At one time, Jairus comes to Jesus and says, hey, my daughter, she's sick, and she's going to, to die, and I need you to come, and, and you can just touch her, and she will be healed. And you remember Jesus makes his way there, and by the time he gets to Jairus' house, his daughter's dead. Hey, don't bother you no more. Going back, she's dead. Jesus says something like, oh, she's only sleeping, and everybody laugh at him, and he, he leaves his apostles behind, but he takes with him Peter, James, and John, and they go into the room of Jairus' daughter, and Jesus raises her from the dead. Don't you know, as an eyewitness to that, they're like, there's something special about this Jesus. Another time, he took with him Peter, James, and John up onto the Mount of Transfiguration. All the other apostles didn't go, but Peter, James, and John did. 
and they witnessed Jesus transform before their very eyes. They saw Elijah, they saw Moses. Wow! Another time when Jesus was going to the Garden of Gethsemane right before his crucifixion, he, he left the apostles behind, but it says he took with him Peter, James, and John, and they saw Jesus at his most vulnerable moment on his knees crying out in prayer to his Father. They had a special connection, eyewitness account of who Jesus was. John enjoyed a very special fellowship with Jesus, and he just simply wants his readers to do the same and to enjoy that same thing. And that's my desire as well. And so if we want a genuine fellowship, we need to have a right understanding of who Jesus is. We need to be committed to truth. We need to be committed to obedience. And I think one of the greatest struggles when it comes to obedience and one of the greatest themes throughout Scripture is one that we struggle with the most, and it's we need to be committed to love, loving one another. Does anybody struggle with that one? Yeah. All right, so... We need to see it like a triangle. So if God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all, and God's light shines on us, he reveals his, his true identity to us, he, he reveals his word to us, he exposes his light on us, and I love him. Anybody in here would say, I don't love God. No, we love God, don't we? I love him. And you know what? I got good news for you. He loves you too. So we got this special thing, right? I love God. He loves me. He shines his light on me. And it's just all great. It's all good in the hood, right? But over here is another believer, and guess what? God loves them, and they love God, and God's shining his light on them. And that's all good in the hood as well, but there's this third part of the triangle that we need to understand. If we're going to experience genuine Christian fellowship, it's that brother-to-brother link that we break so often. It's not Jesus says, all right, as I have loved you, now I want you to love them. You're like, but they're a Democrat. And over here's like, but they're Republican. <laughs> they're an independent. They're an idiot. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like there's something in us that's like we have a hard time looking through the filter at people, and, and we don't remember that we have been forgiven so much, and we've been loved so greatly. And he said, as I have loved you, I want you to love one another. Anybody else struggle with that? Because when it comes to walking out this thing called life, we're going to walk it out with imperfect people. And guess what? In the church, imperfect people. And that's the beauty of a fellowship is when we can be authentic and we can be genuine. We say, you know what? We know who Jesus is. We've got a right understanding of who he is. And because of that, I'm filled with joy. I'm building my life on that solid foundation. And I'm trying to walk in obedience. And I don't always get it right. And so I can be honest with you guys. I don't always get it right as a pastor. I'm a broken person. I will fumble. I will, I will fall sometimes. But here's the beautiful thing. I re- recognize it almost immediately, and I'm thankful for his Holy Spirit that brings conviction. And, and I'm able to say, God, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And I get up, and I keep on walking. We need to be able to be authentic that way. The Bible says confess, one, confess your faults one to another. You know what we want to do? We want to confess your faults to someone else. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good, right? That's what we do. But he says you need to be authentic and you need to be able to share and and confess your faults to one another. We're just broken people. But walking together in this this love as well and say, you know what? That person's messed up and I love them anyways. That person dropped the ball in a big way, but you know what? I love them even more because I'm seeing how God's grace is working in their life and I see how they're humble and I see what God's doing through that and I just, my heart goes out to them and I just love them even more. Do you, do you catch what I'm throwing? There, there's something beautiful about genuine, authentic fellowship. I want to be so much, you know, something that's so much more than just a loose, mere Christian socializing affiliation. You know, we come together, I'm a Christian, I am me too, and it doesn't matter what we do. No, I want more than that. And I, and I would venture to say that probably you do as well, right? And that's what he's calling us to. And so if we want to See that in our own hearts, and our church, and our life. We need to be committed to truth, obedience, and love. This thing, this theme that keeps spiraling throughout this letter. He says, I'm writing to you a new command. Rather, it's an old one that you've heard from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment. Jesus lived it. He modeled it for us. And if you go back to the upper room, John chapter 13, Jesus is saying in himself, just again, 
John is just mirroring what Jesus said. He says, I'm, I'm giving you a new commandment. This is Jesus now. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. What kind of love was that that Jesus showed us? It was a sacrificial love, right? It was one that said, you know, my needs are not as important as your needs, and I'm going to put your needs above my needs, and uh, I'm going to humble myself so that I can, you know, for your benefit. And that's the kind of love that Christ showed us. Even while we were sinners, Christ died on the cross for us. That's pretty powerful love, isn't it? And yet he says, as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love, and listen to this, your love for one another, this radical, unnormal, you know, from our worldly standards, this kind of wacky love, like those guys are crazy, man. That love, he says, that's how the world on the outside of the church is going to know that we are his disciples. They're going to look at the church and go, there's something unique about them, and I really feel like they're crazy enough to follow that Jesus that they say they believe in, that love that we show in the, in the context of fellowship, he says the world will know that we are his disciples by that love for one another. Not our brilliance, not our ability to create memes that glam someone else or whatever. I mean, it, by our love, our love for one another, the world will know that we are his disciples. Again, Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands. In chapter 15, he says, I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. There it is again, that you'll be filled with my joy. Jesus is saying this. I've told you these things because when we walk in love, when we walk in obedience, there's something special about that. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. I could use a little of that in my life today especially considering where we're at in our country. He says, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Again, Jesus said, this is my command, love each other. We can't get around it. We can't get away from it. And he says, listen, it's not a suggestion. It's a command, love one another. One of the struggles that we have in the context of loving one another is we will offend one another every once in a while. Anybody ever been offended? One of the biggest struggles that we have is this idea of forgiveness, being able to take someone who offended and to be able to release them from what I think that they, you know, they have deserved coming, you know, the punishment because they offended me to release them and to forgive them is divine. I think one of the greatest examples of that is a, a lady named Corey Ten Boone. She was uh, living around the time of World War II. She was from Holland, but she was a prisoner of war in Nazi Germany. And she says that you know, her sister died in one of those concentration camps, and um, she was released later, and she committed her life to teaching other people about the forgiveness of God. This is one time that she was teaching in a basement filled with people, and they're, they're standing at her, they're hurting, and, and she's delivering this message about the forgiveness of God. And in the room, she notices one of the guards at the concentration camp that she was at. And he's making his way toward her. She says in one of her books, like this emotion all came over me. And I, all of a sudden I realized I remember everything that transpired. I, I remember watching my sister waste away in starvation and die in that camp. And I remember the cruelty of these guards. And she said, I had this overwhelming just sense of bitterness toward this man that was walking my way. He didn't know who she was, but she knew who he was. And he walks up to her and he extends his hand for a handshake. And she doesn't shake his hand. She's like, he don't know who I am. And he said, you mentioned in your speech this one particular place. I was a guard there. And he said, but I'm a Christian now. He says, isn't it wonderful as you say that God can forgive us from all those evil things that we've done in the past? He says, I know I'm forgiven, but I would like to hear it from you. Will you forgive me? Again, he sticks his hand out. She said it felt like, you know, hours that were passing. It was just seconds, but she was torn with this. Here I am teaching other people about the forgiveness of Christ and standing in front of me as a guy that I cannot forgive. And she simply prayed, Lord, I want to be obedient to what you said. It's an act of my will, not my emotions. Church, let me just tell you, you'll never wake up feeling like forgiving someone. 
It's an act of the will. You say, you know what, God, you said to do it, and so I'm going to be obedient and do it. And that's what she did. God, help me to be obedient. And so she raises her hand, mechanically almost, and extends it and shakes his hand. And she said, at that moment, her heart was overwhelmed with compassion for this man. And she began to cry. And she said to him, I forgive you, my brother, with all of my heart. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's powerful. And let me just say this, those things are not always easy, but God rewards obedience in her case, and I believe in our case as well. And so what do I want to see? I want to be a part of a, an amazing, thriving, genuine body of believers. Don't you? I want to enjoy the fellowship with God that John talks about that he experienced, and I want others to enjoy it and experience it as well. And I just know that the greatest danger for us as a church is not what might happen from outside these four walls. Churches broke apart or break apart all the time over division, factions, jealousy, bitterness, arrogance, unforgiveness, slander, gossip, you just name it, color of the chairs. Isn't it silly? And yet what we're being called to is authenticity, genuine Christian fellowship. And I believe that when we pursue that, God puts his hand of blessing on it. Can I just tell you, what would it be like if the churches could just be real with one another? And everybody in the church is like, you know what? We're pursuing Jesus, and we want to know who he is. And the more we know about him, the more excited we get. Because, you know what? I know who I am in Christ. I know what he did for me. And you can't wipe the smile off of my face. Hint, 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 hint. Right? Man, look at what he's done for us. And how much he must love us. Ah, it just makes this joy well up inside us. And, and that fellowship with God is so sweet, but then we need to work on this horizontal part with one another and to say, you know what, let's just be real with each other. We're all making this journey together. We're all called to walk in obedience, and we don't always get it right. But praise God, there we go again. He gives us this, this 1 John 1, 9 verse that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. If we confess those and so we can continue to walk forward, walking in the light. But this command to love one another is something I believe that we'll be working on until Christ returns. But what would it look like if a church really grabbed a hold of that? What kind of a light, what kind of a beacon of hope would that be in a community that desperately needs to see Jesus in his church? We are his hands. We are his feet. He said that they will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. Let me finish with three questions. Can I ask you a question? Do you have a biblical view of Jesus? I'm not talking about an opinion on Jesus. There are people who say, well, my Jesus would never judge me for that. Well, my Jesus would never condemn me for this. Well, my Jesus, my Jesus. You don't get your own personal Jesus. There's only one Jesus, and the Bible defines who he is. And so do you have a biblical view, a biblical view of who Jesus is because it makes all the difference. We build our life on that truth. He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. Do you have a biblical view of Jesus, number one? Number two, can I ask you the question, are you obedient to God's word? Not perfect, but is there a lifestyle, that, a desire to just be obedient to his word? And when you are disobedient, there's a conviction that comes with that, and you're like, God, I, I was wrong Please help me to, to walk on that path, to walk in the light. Are you obedient to his, his word? Because he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll do what I say. And lastly, I would say this, do you love others? Now, not like the love that uh, I heard someone say, I, I can love them, but I don't have to like them. I'm like, mm, a, little, a little deeper than that. I love them, but man, they're, they don't vote the way I vote. They don't believe the way I believe. They're idiots. I mean, well, I got to love them too. Yeah. It's deeper than that. This love that we're commanded to show one another is a love that was shown to us by Christ. And I would ask the question, do you love others? Are you quick to extend forgiveness? Are you quick to extend grace to someone else who's not living their life perfectly? Are you walking in that love? That is a challenge. And I believe it's a challenge that we'll be walking in until Christ returns. But I would just simply say, if we want to experience what John wants us to experience, what I desire to see in my life is just genuine church. Not playing church, not just a group of people that say, I'm here, I'm a Christian, doing my Christian duty, but we're walking this thing out, loving each other, 
obeying God's word. What a powerful church that can be. Lastly, I would say if you're here today and you're like, you're reading this saying, man, I, I, don't, I don't feel anything when it comes to sin in my life and I don't feel anything when it comes to love. There are people that I absolutely hate and I don't have a problem with that. And I can say, let this be a litmus test, a test of your faith and ask the question, are you genuinely in the family of God? Are you in a saving relationship with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if you are, his spirit lives in you and his spirit will not allow us to be comfortable with that disobedience. He's going to work on our hearts. Amen? And so I would just challenge you today, wherever you're at, whatever step you uh, need to take between you and God, that we would see our, our role in the church. Because the church is not just me, or it's not David, and it's not about living water. There's not something going on here. Like, What's going on? I ain't talking about this. I'm talking about the church global, right? And it's filled with people. And if you've placed your faith in Christ, like I've placed my faith in Christ, guess what? We're on that same team. We're in the same church. And there's a world out there looking for hope. They're looking for answers. And my hope is that when they look at this little fellowship in Canyon, that they'll say, you know what? There's a, there's a bunch of messed up people in that church, especially the preacher. But you know what? They're genuine. And I believe they mean what they say. Amen? Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for... Lord, the, the words that are challenging to us, sometimes it's like looking in a mirror and we see the faults, we see the shortcomings. And Lord, if we're not careful, we could just uh, wall around in guilt and, and shame. But God, I thank you that you love us enough that you remember our frame, you remember that we are just dust. And Lord, you love us anyways. And you're calling us to an amazing journey of fellowship with you and with each other. God, we realize there are going to be things that are going to, they're going to test that. They're going to challenge the, the strength of that fellowship. And Lord, my desire is that it wouldn't come from within. Lord, I believe a unified church is a force to be reckoned with. God, I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would strengthen all the churches across this country, that we can somehow look beyond our differences, look beyond our disagreements or our party affiliations or whatever it is that we use as an um, excuse not be obedient to your word. God, would you help us to look past that and find out that and see them in your light. You love them. They love you. And Lord, just like we do and how you're calling us to share that with one another as well. Lord, would you just challenge us in our faith today? Help us to live out this life worthy of the calling that we've been invited to, we've been called to. Father, we thank you for it. We ask that you just go with us this week as we take what we hear today and we apply it in our lives. It's good for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday at Walmart and Thursday in traffic. It's good for every day. Help us to live this out. So that when other people look at us, your church, they will know that we are your disciples because of our obedience to you and our love for one another. We humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.